Welcome to the podcast. This is Infinite Pulp. We are here again, yet again, with another show for you. Yeah, Infinity Continues. I've always wondered about that since we're Infinite Pulp. Infinity Continues. I've always thought... Well, it's redundant. Yeah, it really is. But, um, you know, we like a lot of redundancies. Okay, I do have a question, though. Who the heck is that? I just brought him on. I don't want you to know who he is. He's here to evaluate you. I'm going to see if you're good enough for the company. That's all he's here for. Oh, no. <laughs> we have one of my dear friends here, and I'm going to let him introduce himself because he has a voice. Um, I do. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm the auditor for the podcast. It's, that's the secret. Um, my name is Drew. Um, I went to college with Aaron, actually, um, and we spent many, many nights, uh, yeah, talking about movies and relationships and politics and religion and philosophy and all those kinds of things. So I'm excited to get to do that with him in a recorded space. Yes, I am too. I'm really excited about it. I was just telling Max how we um, didn't talk for several years. I mean, we did briefly, you know, every once in a while, but then we started playing Overwatch together and it was like ever since then, like, boom, friendship. It's Overwatch happened. just brings people together, man. It does. It brings people together. It tears them apart. We're not going to get into it too much. I'm still not playing. October 7th, I'll see you there. Um, but uh, <laughs> we're going to get in today some really interesting and cool things. But before we do that, because um, by the title, I know you guys can see what we're talking about today. So I'm just going to say it. I'm going to talk about our favorite film franchises. And I wanted to do this because we all three love movies. And that's pretty much it. And this podcast is about talking about things we love and talking about stuff that I want to. So that's how it works. Um, before that, though, how's everybody doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm sitting here with some water, feeling good about life. Uh, did some grocery shopping today, so we're stocked up for the next two weeks. Did the dishes, bought myself a new lamp and some blackout curtains for my recording room. So I'm I'm feeling productive. I'm feeling good. I've got a lot of work ahead of me, but I'm, I'm excited. It's work I'm excited to do. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm in a good mood. That is awesome. What kind of, um, studio you're looking for? Just mostly recording stuff. You're going to do YouTube. You're going to yeah, try to do. I'm not sure yet for, for the podcast for sure. Um, maybe YouTube, maybe, um, uh, just some audio visual stuff that I can upload to SoundCloud. I haven't decided yet. Sweet. Yeah, it's really like responsible, responsible choices that you've made there. I appreciate that. <laughs> not yeah. TikTok. I'm not going to be making TikTok videos. <laughs> I know it's probably disappointing for you to hear, but I, I saw online the other day, as in yesterday or yesterday before that, excuse me, TikTok may be banned in the US soon. Yeah, that's so ridiculous. It's like TikTok is banned, <laughs> but Facebook is fine. Like what? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> anyways, Drew, how are you doing? I'm great, honestly. Yeah, I just started a new job. I'm also doing like some of those adult things like Max. Um, I'm healthy, uh, which is apparently more than a lot of people can say right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, not to not to drag us into all of that. No, um, no, but no, I'm it, feeling good. It's a weekly thing, man. Stay safe. Wear a mask when you go outside. Use hand yep. sanitizer. Just guys, just no unnecessary things. It's not worth it right now. If you want to talk to your friends, Zoom. Let's do it. Yep. It's there for a reason. Um, sweet. That's about um, where I'm at, um, except the exact opposite. I actually feel pretty good today. I did a bunch of manual labor yesterday and the day before. Um, also watched my dad do a bunch of manual labor. So <laughs> that's always fun. It's like, well, he can do it. I think I can, too. 
Um, but uh, unemployed, looking for jobs, got a couple hits today about some roles, actually, that are um, pretty exciting. Nice. Um, so going to answer some of those and call those guys back either today or tomorrow and um, go from there. Everything's moving. Um, today, though, I really want to get right into it because you get the three of us in a room together and I feel like we're going to take the full two hours of time. So and we have a time restraint. So yeah, I really want to make sure we're, we're getting into this soon. So before we do that, though, I do have a few things that I want to discuss and I kind of found really, really interesting. Um, first, though, I want to talk about the um, it, it goes with what we're doing today, but I want to do a, just a brief history because I think it's really fascinating. And I was watching something today about the Disney direct to home movies and like how those came about, because um, I've seen like three of them and they all include Aladdin or Lion King. Like I have never touched any of the other ones. Um, and it's fascinating. So I want to get into that because we're talking about film franchises. You can't really touch that without talking about Disney, which I think kind of encompasses a whole film franchise in itself. If you want to just do those animated movies. Um, but all the information I got today, I want to put credit where credit's due. It's from the YouTube uh, channel. Yesterworld by Mark the Parker. So the channel is Mark the Parker. The show that he does is Yesterworld and he goes through and he talks about different theme parks. So different theme park rides, different things that are about theme park companies. It's a fascinating, fascinating channel. If you really are interested in theme parks at all, um, or specifically like Disney, those kind of entertainment companies. Um, and the one I saw the other day was, uh, the history of the Disney toon studios, which eventually was what is like, I think it's now what is considered like the direct to home studios that they do. Um, and I'm only going to give you a brief like snippet of the first five minutes of the video because I want you to go and watch it because I think it's worth it if you're interested in that. But just starting out from the very beginning, Walt Disney, he didn't believe that it would be financially viable or that the quality of any of his movies would be good enough to do anything other than full features on a big screen. Um, while he did try to do sequels once. He tried to do a sequel. He did do a sequel to The Three Little Pigs, which it was the wolf's three little um, children that they did. It didn't do very well. And it, so it kind of convinced him that, OK, we don't need to do any more sequels, which is why you don't really see any sequels of any Disney movie up until the 90s, essentially. It's just because Walt did not believe that. And if you know anything about the Walt Disney Company, um, Walt's word is kind of like the Ten Commandments there, where like if he believes something like... People take it very seriously. It's fallen off a little bit now. That's a whole nother podcast that we could talk about. Um, Eisner! Uh, I would love to talk Eisner because I think Eisner was the best thing that's happened to Disney before Iger. I think that he's better than Iger. That is a take. That is I a know, spicy man. take. I so, know. I, I, bet know. You, I think Disney would be so much more interesting and honestly better if Eisner was still the CEO rather than You see what Iger. I have to deal with over here, Drew? You see what I have to fight with? Every week, this guy comes on with opinions like this. Yeah, this is why I had. To, this is why it's called infinite pulp. The pulp part of it is my part. The infinite part is Max's part. Okay, okay. Like, are you talking like creatively, or are you talking like financial solvency? Because honestly, from both of those views, Eisner's pretty problematic. Creatively, um, I, I think. I think you start getting into Eisner and what he believed. I think you don't start seeing. Um, 
I think you have a lot more creative IPs in the theme parks and other interesting things that happened rather than just every single new ride at Disney being attached to a previous IP. Tell me the last time there was a ride at Disney that was not attached to something that had already happened. Splash Mountain, 1991. Like, I mean, that was, no, that was, that was, that was, even that had something to do. Like, everything that's in Disney now is all, like, I don't know. No, I agree. And, like, as a huge proponent of the Tower of Terror myself, like, I am not thrilled about the new direction that the parks are necessarily going. But I'm also, like, 34 years old, so I don't know, like, <laughs> right. like, I don't know if they're trying to, like, make Disneyland for me anymore, you know what I mean? And I try to view a lot of things through that lens. Like, like I'm 34 years old, maybe Star Wars, like, isn't for me. Maybe Star right. Wars is for, like, 13-year-olds now. And I yeah. and I have to like view it through that lens, so I kind of like sort of see Disneyland through that lens. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, and maybe, maybe having worked there, I, I'm more jaded than other folks are um, on it, just because being inside there, you just you just you see the the reason that they put those things. Like, I I just feel like it's a straight money grab. Like, I don't feel like they're putting those in there because they want them to be in there because they're cool. I think they're putting them in there because they can sell merchandise. And I feel like creating new IP in the parks outside of outside of the already existing IP is a risk they're just not willing to take anymore. Well, um, they're even think- stripping some of that back, right? Like California Adventure, they're like retrofitting like a lot of those things that like mm-hmm. uh, were like sort of I don't want to say like establishments, but like even the Tower of Terror was an establishment. Yeah, and, and now they make that a Guardians. Like, yeah, and like it, it doesn't make sense with Guardians. California Soren into like another or Soren over California, whatever that one's called. That one's so, now. Um, I don't know where that one's. I know the one in Florida now is now Soren like throughout the world instead right. of just Soren California. It's, it's, I don't but, know if you've been on that, right? It's pretty bad. <laughs> it's so CG that the Eiffel Tower is so curved no matter where you sit. <laughs> and the Taj Mahal is just straight. Two th- early 2000s like CG it looks awful like if you guys couldn't just like could you not you're Disney could you not have flown a drone over the actual Taj Mahal or is that the ta- actual Taj Mahal so dirty that you don't want to fly it over like man this is not what we're supposed to talk about we're not supposed to talk about this we're supposed to talk about movies today not not theme parks we'll, we'll, we'll get back into this, this. this is, we clearly need to have Drew on more now this yeah. is what I've decided um, so to go with that Walt tried sequels once it didn't work, so he never wanted to do sequels again. That changed when Eisner was hired. <laughs> That's my line I wrote right here. <laughs> in 1984, Eisner established a TV wing of the business, but was not allowed to use the Fab Five. The Fab Five is Mickey, Donald, Minnie, Goofy, and Pluto. They were not allowed to use them because they thought it would cheapen their characters to put them on TV. The funny part about that is, is on the Disney Channel, at the same time they said that, is the Fab Five dressed, well, friends with Mickey. Like, it's the Fab Five running a jazzercise program. Not one, but several. So they didn't think that animation on TV would cheapen. Would, they thought animation would cheapen them, but they didn't think that having them running a jazzercise studio on TV would cheapen the Fab Five. You know, I thought that was, man. So, 1985, Saturday morning cartoons hit the market. What happens first? They try to do the wuzzles. And this thing called Floopy Pups or something like that, or Fluppy Pups. Those fell so hard. They you could be 100% making this up, and I just could not call you I know, on it. I know. Um, 
the the one that hit though, gummy bears. That just took oh, off. Yeah, People love the gummy that. bears. I used to watch gummy bears all the time. I love it. So that was really their first like, oh, we can actually make money doing this because they didn't feel like it had a cheapened quality and they like they proved that it was viable to put on TV. What happened after that was how the Disney direct home video started. And I think this is the most fascinating thing of a whole story. So DuckTales paved the way. DuckTales' first episode was a two-hour movie, and it was also planned to end the series the same exact way, with a two-hour movie into the final season that would have been syndicated as five episodes later on. But it would have been something that directly went into it. But what Eisner did, he was like, you know what? Let's put that in the theaters. And it didn't do so hot. I don't know if you've seen that movie. That movie is um, DuckTales and I believe The Treasure of the Lost Lamp is what it's technically called. Um, It's on Disney+. Plus. You should absolutely go watch it. It is awesome. If you like old school DuckTales, you have to do it. Also, shout out to New DuckTales. It's an amazing series. Everyone should watch that. And... um, they decided to found Movie Tune Studios and do a theatrical release of that movie instead of doing a TV show. So instead of putting it in the first season, like the last season of the of, of, of the TV show, they decided to release it theatrically. It did not well. Two million dollar loss. Um, they blamed Jetsons, the movie, because it came out a month earlier. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if that really holds weight. If a movie's good, people are going to watch it, you know. And so... Um, They decided to, instead of doing um, more of that, let me back up a little bit. I'm going to talk. See, the beer's already starting to hit me. I'm going to stop drinking now. This is not Um, helping your Eisner case. I just want to throw up No, it's not at all. You're right. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) at the same time they were working on DuckTales, they were working on a little TV show called Aladdin which was based on the movie, obviously. Um, Aladdin, the TV show, and I didn't know this before I started watching it, was initially set up to premiere with Return of the Jafar. They were going to do the same thing they did with DuckTales, but do it with Aladdin. Make Return of the Jafar the first episode and then re-release it as a five-episode arc when it gets syndicated later on. However, because of what really happened with the DuckTales stuff, Eisner decided to make the change and release Return to Jafar directly to home video, which was the first one that that had happened for. And that's kind of how it all started. Ever since then, they started kicking off all the Winnie the Pooh ones. They started doing all these sequels. And it was all because of Return to Jafar that was supposed to be on TV first that was directly to home. And... That's the end of what I want to share. There is a lot more to it, but I just thought it was really fascinating that things that I take for granted because I grew up with like, I didn't, I was like four or five years old when all these decisions were being made, right? I wasn't paying attention to it. I just saw Return of Jafar. I was like, oh, cool. This is a sequel. This must be how they've always done these things. They've just made really bad sequels and put them out on, on video. Like that's just what Disney does. But it wasn't. They hadn't, they actually didn't do that until the 90s. And I thought and then that they was totally really... just dropped off too. Like there was like yes. a hard stop to that as well. And the reason they hard stopped that was um, John Lasseter. And so, as much as I don't want to talk about John Lasseter and don't want to give him airtime, he was the only reason that Disney continued to make hand drawn animation at, at the studios. Like they don't they don't do it anymore. The only stuff they do. So like what what they transition to now is is now they don't do direct home videos like sequels like that anymore. Um, they still have the Tinkerbell ones going on, I believe, the fairies. And those are actually really quite fun and good. 
Um, but all those little animated shorts that happen after all these big Disney movies come out, those are essentially what the team that was working on these videos are now doing. So they're now just making the animated shorts, which are way better to me than all those movies. I think it's actually a good move. Um, but I like the audacity that Eisner had to see if he could make it work. I, I miss his risk taking. And that's all I'm going to say. Go watch the rest of the video. It's really fascinating. There's so much more in there. I recapped the first five minutes very poorly. So um, go there's check out some additional World. reading on this, actually. Sorry, Aaron, not to cut you off. Um, but um, there's some additional reading I've done on this specifically. I believe it's Slate.com. I'm not 100% sure. I'll need to look it up. Maybe you can drop it in the show notes. But it's specifically about that like 12-year era where Disney was churning out those sequels like crazy. And um, this is, I guess, a point in Eisner's favor. So, like, creatively, they weren't there. But uh, commercially, almost all of those sequels made money. Yeah. Um, and, like, Prince of Thieves is dope. Uh, that I will defend that till the day I die. Simba's Pride is actually pretty good. Uh, the Beauty and the Beast one's pretty good, too. So there are some, like, kind of, like, uh, gems is a strong word, but they're not turds. I'm going to say King of Thieves, right? Is it King the, of Thieves? Yeah. Are you talking you're the, the Aladdin one? The Aladdin, the threequel. Yeah. That one is really difficult for me to decide between King of Thieves and the original one of which one I like more. Honestly, straight up. I think King of Thieves is awesome. I King love of Thieves them. is great. Yeah. Not Prince of so, Thieves. Thank you for correcting follow, me on that. But. Follow the King of Thieves. He wears a mask. He has a little ninja thing going on. It's, it's really awesome. cool. For yeah. sure. Yep. Um, I, I And that's when we get Robin Williams back. And so one thing that... Um, was it uh, – it was – was did King of Thieves come out when Iger came out or was it Eisner? Who – somebody repaired that 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 uh, relationship with Robin Williams when he came back for, for King of Thieves. I thought that was Iger that repaired that relationship. I don't remember to be honest with you. I just you know remember what? seeing it as a kid and it blew my mind. Additional reading, absolutely. We got to do it. Yeah. No, absolutely. I love King of Thieves. I thought it was awesome. I was like, this is an Aladdin movie? Yeah. I'm in. Um. So, yeah, that's your fun little Disney history because we can't get away from it on this podcast. And um, we're going to go into the little game unless anybody else. Actually, have anything to add to. Uh, I have lots of things to add, but we need to keep rolling. <laughs> yeah. OK. We, we, yeah, I, I agree with that one. I, we're going to play a game. And um, I don't know if uh, you're familiar with the game, but we play What Am I Watching, where Max tries to guess what I'm watching. Drew is on the episode now. So now we are going to have Drew and Max. Um, guess what am I watching? All right. Um, so two clues, five guesses, um, five questions, two clues, two guesses. I'm not changing anything because one of my friends pointed out, one of our listeners, that if there's two people on the podcast, I should not give you extra stuff. I should give you less things because you have two minds. Um, so I'm just going to give you the same. And Max and I actually were talking about this a little bit. <laughs> and he thinks he already knows what the movie is. Um one of the clues we had discovered is that during the movie, there is the TV show Barney on another TV inside of the movie on one of the scenes. And that's going to be one of the clues. And we know it's a movie. And now both of you can just guess five questions and ask another clue. Are we allowed to clue. talk amongst each other? Can I like bring you them can up to speed on what I'm to. thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, here's the thing, Matt. So, so this was actually really um, serendipitous. Normally, I'm I'm like I have to I like establish a lot of questions, and I've already burned one clue for us accidentally, right? So, absolutely, feel free to bolster this with like whatever questions you feel like you need to. 
I have recently been going back and rewatching the Jurassic Park series. And Jurassic Park 3, when they are trapped in the cage, going under the river, the little boy, they call the, the woman's kid. And he says, it's the dinosaur man, right? And he, she's like, take the phone to mommy. And so he goes to take the phone to her and then gets distracted by Barney on TV and starts like doing the Barney dance. So he's putting on his mask so he doesn't give it away with his facial expressions. <laughs> so that's my guess would be that's the movie that jumps to mind because I watched it last weekend and Barney was on TV in the movie. Honestly, I feel really solid about that. I haven't seen Jurassic Park 3 in its entirety in probably a decade. Okay. So I I feel rock solid about that. That makes a lot of sense. You've made your case. Okay. So what I would lead with would be, is it live action or cartoon? And right, then, right. Uh, but I assume like, if it's Barney, because it Barney's a live action show, the movie's got to be live action, right? Like, Not necessarily, man. Yeah, the I guess if they're doing weird. some like real meta stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I know how to narrow it. Uh, we could ask if William yeah. H. Macy's in it. Um, is it a Ooh, William a H. Macy question. joint, Aaron? Um, this is not a William H. Macy joint. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. That's a lot. Boy, that's um, tough. Oh, I guess my I do next love question, William H. Macy, though. Uh, he is underrated for sure. So good. <laughs> Just <laughs> so, so good. good. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Right, we well have then, one. We have one clue, and then that was one um, question. One question. Yes, yeah, so yeah. we got one clue left and four questions. Um, Two I guesses. Think, yeah. So go for it. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm gonna make this more difficult because we're tied and I want to win. So I'm not gonna like give you extra clues like I sometimes do. I see. So no, no changing over f- questions to clues or anything. No, I'm no gonna, this is this no is mixing. yeah. Now that this now that we're st- we're starting to get into the like, brass tacks of this, we got only half a year left at this game and we're tied. Like <laughs> I want that bottle of whiskey. He's I'm scared, gonna be honest. Drew. He's yeah. scared. We got to run. <laughs> okay. Um, is it a part of in honor of today? Is it a part of a franchise? Yes, it is. What? Yes, it is. Okay. It is. I have to. I, I can't consciously answer that question without expanding. It is. It is part of a franchise, but it is a standalone movie in that franchise. Uh, I think uh, by by the nature so of the franchise, it's like a, would that be like a spinoff to you, Max? You think or yeah, or even like done by a different director, right? So if you're talking about a franchise, if you're talking about like Batman, right? Like oh, sure. then that then that could be like you know like one it's of the part weird of the franchise in the but middle. it's not like the Nolan Batman's different than the right, right. Batman or whatever yeah right okay. exactly okay. Yeah. so that would be my understanding of standalone versus a series um and a standalone movie in a series where Barney's on TV franchise standalone movie in a franchise yeah. I'm that's, trying to think of like what important. other franchises have standalone movies that's kind of where I want to I want to go from there um, Star, Star Wars is reliable, but I doubt Barney would be on. Star TV. Wars has that. Like Wolverine has that. Wolverine has standalone mm-hmm. movies. Um, yeah, we could ask if it's if there are superheroes in the movie because if it's a standalone superhero movie, it could be like it could be Deadpool yeah. or yeah. I'm absolutely down yeah. for it, man. Feel free if you okay. have questions. Feel free because I I I've made like a four or five point comeback on this thing. So if I <laughs> if we happen to lose today, I'm pretty confident that we can still we can still make it out of the hole. Okay, Aaron. Are there superheroes in the in this in this series? 
uh, in the film. No, no, there there are no super superheroes. No superheroes. Okay. Yeah, that but, me saying super twice doesn't mean anything. Yeah, there are no superheroes. <laughs> it's hard to know what's a clue and what's the beer. <laughs> I've only had a beer and a half. I just happen to have only had three eggs today. Okay. I'm trying to lower in a little bit of a diet, eat healthy. You know, hence the might beer. as well. Okay, so um, it is no superheroes. It is live action. It does not contain William H. Macy. It's standalone. Was this movie made... I usually ask, was this movie made after 2000? Is that cool for you? Yeah, yeah. I think that's great. Was this movie made after 2000? No, it was not. Ooh. Okay. Wait, so we're at three questions now? That's three questions. That's three questions. One clue. One, one clue. You want to burn our next clue? Yeah. And yeah. Can get, especially now that he's taking another sip right. of beer. <laughs> Loosen those lips. The beer. <laughs> yeah. This is the this is the longest running movie franchise in the world. Wow. Heck. So I guess my my ignorance comes in the awareness of like timelines of movie franchises. Well, here's the other thing is <sighs> Well, it's tricky because Barney's a thing in, like, the 90s, right? So that movie had to, like, exist um, with Barney already established as a thing Mm -hmm. in the world. So, but how many movies came before that? It's the longest running movie franchise in the world. Is it, do you think Terminator? Could it be the Terminator film? I'm pretty sure that the first Star Wars movie came out before the first Terminator series movie. That's did. true. That's a good point. So, yeah. and Indiana Jones was another good one, but I'm pretty sure Indy came out yeah. after Star Wars. Right. Right. So, man, I think I think burning oh, yeah. that clue on Barney probably hurt because the second clue I have probably would have narrowed it down to what franchise it is. Oh yeah, it would have. Yeah, and no, you're right. I, I'm thinking not. I'm not thinking far back enough. I'm thinking of the specific movie. I need to get. We need to get the franchise first. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Star Wars came out in '77. Um, Aliens. Alien came out in 1980. Okay. Um, it doesn't have William H Macy, which narrows it down a lot. It has... Yeah, it's only every other movie that William H. Macy is not in. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> he, I'm not going to lie, Max. You like Jurassic Park 3 was such a good guess. That I just like it, it, it. I happened to watch a movie recently that had Barney in it, so I was I, I let my overconfidence sort of you know tip me. Um, okay, this is. Can I ask if it's? Can I ask if it's live action? Because I want to. I yeah, really yeah. think this might actually be a cartoon. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it live action? It is live action. Son of a. <laughs> Sorry, I know we're not supposed to swear. You'll have to bleep it out. Um, okay. We also have two. We have one more question, right? And two guesses. Yes. Yeah. You haven't done any guesses yet. You're starting to get smart and getting around guessing which movie it is by asking the question that removes that movie. It's very smart. I like that. Only having one question left though really, really kills us. Yeah, it's stressful. Okay, let's let's. You should give us no next time. Give us no clues, but give us more questions. Okay. (laughs) 
So I could, I could I could maybe look at that. Let's dig back in time, right? It could be this could be. Um, what are some really famous so, live action movies like, that came out a long time ago? When did Ghostbusters come out? Like that's that's pretty old too. 80s. Probably the eighties though. Yeah. yeah. So I think we need to go back. I think we need to go earlier. Um, we need to. Oh man. He watches horror sometimes, and horror movies oh, definitely have standoffs and one-offs. And if Barney's on TV, like he's been in, I think a couple of the Nightmare on Elm Streets on TV. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure those horror movies from like the slashers, like in the '60s and '70s, um, were franchises that really kicked off long. Or like Night uh, of the Living Dead has been around for a long time too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like Aaron, Should we Aaron, ask if it's a horror series? I feel I think that's a good yeah I think that's a good path I to just, go down. I'm in such a good mood. I had to turn. I'm just I'm gonna be smiling and I don't want to like. <laughs> I had to turn yeah. off my camera because okay. I don't want to give okay. anything okay. away. Okay, okay. Um, we can if you want. If if you want that to be the question, we can. I'm just like I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about westerns because those were really popular longer ago and so there could be like a western series that's been going for a long time not a movie franchise though that's not a thing yeah and all the westerns aren't like in series like clint eastwood had his trilogy and then dirty (laughs) harry trilogy but then those are done you know like they're not still going anymore like john wayne all of his films are standalones even though that guy made three dozen films um yeah i like aaron is it a is it a horror film so that's a good question. I, it is not classified technically under a horror film, I wouldn't say. But let me put it this way. I would say there are other things before you get to horror, but there is a horror aspect to the film, if that makes sense. I, would you guys consider – that's a – I would not – that's going to give it away. Um, Man, I – Can we please burn a guest for one clue? Like, can we, can we yeah. burn one guess to get that last clue that you've been dangling in front of us? Yeah. Yeah, you can you you can get. Yeah. So after this, you only have one chance to guess what movie it is. Fair. OK. While it's the longest running movie franchise in the world, only three of these have been made in America. And I'm watching one of those. Son of a gun. That It's Godzilla. It's Godzilla. Oh, yeah. Oh my yep. God. I can't yep. believe I didn't realize Nailed it until Nailed now. Nailed it. Yes. And if we're talking Barney homages in a Godzilla right. movie, yep. then we're talking, um, I don't, let me go back. Cause Godzilla, the Matthew Broderick film, I adore. I adore the that film. I think, one. Yeah. yeah. It's so fun. Uh, Hank Azaria as the, the Bronx. Jean Renault. Newspaper. Oh like, my yeah. God. It's so good. Um, I don't think he shows up in that one. I think the Barney homage was a J.J. Abrams thing during the um, who who directed that movie? It was called um, oh, crap. It was called like Aliens or something. It was the Wait, guy he made monsters. No monsters. The, the oh yeah, yeah, Gareth Edwards. Yeah, the Gareth, Ed- the Gareth Edwards Godzilla had a lot of like pop culture homages. Like yeah. there's that early scene with the bug crawling over the toy car, right? right. And so it's like right. there's all that like foreshadowing. I just can't remember if it was if it, and he he gave us a great clue. He gave us that it is made in North America, so that means it's either the um, but. He said it came out after he came. It came out before two thousand, right? Oh shit, he did. So it has to be the nineteen ninety seven one. Has to be the nineteen ninety seven one. 
Final guess. Final yeah. answer. Lock it in. Yeah. That was now Max is ahead. Did we yes! Awesome. Yes! 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 <laughs> Holy cow! I can't, this is the most excited I've been about any guess ever! <laughs> oh! I'm in the lead for the first time since this thing kicked off six months ago. This is crazy. Wow! Yeah. Thank you You're so much back. for your help, Drew. That was epic. Oh, my pleasure. You, you, I, I give you 60% of the credit on that. You did the majority <laughs> of the work. I'll take 55. <laughs> That's crazy, man. I can't believe we got there. Yes! Matthew Broderick Godzilla. All right. I adore that movie, man. It's I, so good. It's so good. It it's just underrated is. for sure. Yeah. That movie got uh -huh. an unfair rap. Yeah. yeah. Every, everything that Roland Emmerich has made since then, excluding Independence Day, has been pretty questionable. But I really love 97 Godzilla, and I really love Independence Day. Day After Tomorrow is a guilty pleasure, and so is White House Down, actually. I like both of those films. They're they're just nuts. They're dumb, but they're fun. <laughs> they're yeah. popcorn movies, right? right. Good, 100%. Good yeah. 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 I, I, you know, I... I that last clue, I, I was like, that's going to narrow it down so much based upon. Sure but did. I feel like if we didn't also have the Barney before that, then like we may have not. The questions were good. I it love was that I was on track with dinosaurs at the very beginning and then yeah, we you got were. pulled in the wrong direction. When you when you that's why I had to cover my face, because I'm yeah. just like, I can't smile and give it away because like yeah. I can't get, let you know that you're on the right path. Yeah. Also, like. I don't consider it a horror movie, just like I don't consider Jurassic Park a horror movie. It's like a monster movie, but like, mm -hmm. it yeah, is it's horror. Fair. Like, monster you know? is kind of horror. I, I get yeah, what you're like, saying. That, like, that was it's going to be monster, action, comma, horror. You know, like, it's going to be yeah. in there. It's just going to be like the third adjective and not like yeah. the, the actual one. Yeah. I just, my, I was initially going to watch a Bond movie um, because I thought Bond was the longest running movie franchise in the world. Um, that one started in 61. Um, Godzilla started in 54, though. Yep. And has 34 yep. movies, uh, yep. 32 Japanese made movies and three American made movies and one coming out in 2021. So, uh, yeah, we ha it just had to be that, you know, like I feel like if we're talking about movie family franchises, we had and I out of all the Godzilla movies that I can watch without the sound on, this is going to be the one, you know, it's, like, so, great, man. it's, it's awesome. so, so good. Yeah, I love it. Sweet. That was one of the most fun games I've played yet. That was great. Oh, I'm, man. Yeah. I love Thanks. it. We did it. We did it. We did um, it. So let's. Um, so we're like 35 minutes into this and we're having a great time. Let's figure out. Uh, um, let's, let's we have about an hour left. So let's talk about our favorite film franchises. Let's Heck get into yeah. Do we want to just so I, I thought about kind of. How do we want to do this? We want to focus on one franchise at, at a time and, and each kind of person says what they really love about it and what it means to them. And then we can mm -hmm. kind of all get into it like, hey, what's your favorite film? What's kind of then start asking the questions? Yeah. Um, yeah. I but think I because wanna... we only have an hour, we do have to make sure that we don't spend like 15 minutes on one franchise because we're going to we're going to. Yeah. Very so I'm thinking I'll dedicate probably like 20 minutes or so to each franchise um, yeah. and then we'll go from there. And maybe keep one or like each of us has like one or two like major things to contribute about any franchise. Like you get to pick one or two things to contribute so you don't just sit there and monologue. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And so really let's just talk about and just get into discussion and I'll cut us off when we need to cut us off. And I'll kind yeah. of keep track of the time on everything. Um, but since it's uh, right at the uh, top of the hour, this is perfect. We'll just go to the bottom of the hour and, and then we'll be finished. 
Um, who wants to go first? Drew, guests do you want to go first? first? Drew, yeah, he, he, no, here's first. here's how we do it. Here, the guest gets to decide who goes first. Ah, so you, you can pick yourself, good. Max, or myself. I feel like Max and I just took up some time uh, doing all of our guessing. So why don't you kick us off here? And actually, Sweet. since Aww. my cat's also my cat's also freaking out in the background, so I need to be muted for a second. Oh yeah, <laughs> cool. That sounds good. So I alluded to it earlier, but my favorite film franchise is the Bond fam tra- franchise. Um, a little bit of history with it. Um, I believe the first time I saw the Bond movie. So here's just kind of how it happened. I was aware of James Bond. I had watched some of the movies on TV with my dad. My dad very much so likes James Bond. I think that's typically how it works is one of your parents is really into it and it passes on to you. And a lot of movie franchises to work that way. Um, but um, what really solidified for me <laughs> was I was over at um, and Drew, you may I was over in Lincoln City at the outlets <laughs> over there. And so I was I was in the Bose store and they were doing um, a just, you know, the standard here. This is what our speakers sound like. Let's look at movie trailers. And one of the movie sequences was Goldeneye, the tank sequence from when he gets busted yeah. out of the library and then takes the tank down the street. Yeah. And I looked at that and attached it to the video game. And I was like, this is what I want. I want to be a spy. And like <laughs> I spent like. Lots of time just like wanting to be a spy, even thought about getting a psychology degree so I could join the FBI or the CIA. Like it, it was a really big part of my life. Um, I immediately started watching and trying to find different Bond movies because my parents would let me watch all of the old Bond movies, but wouldn't let me watch a lot of the newer ones, which were PG-13, which I always thought were odd because if you go back and watch some of those older ones, there is legit nudity in those 70s Bond movies. Yeah. And there's like nothing but like maybe a couple swear words and some action in all the like 99, 2000 ones. Mm -hmm. So like all the ones I was allowed to watch were far worse than the ones that I wasn't allowed to watch, which is always funny. Mm -hmm. Um, But I started collecting and, and like getting super into it. So I, I collected all of them on VHS. Um, I, I like would like I would have family members pick. I go to Goodwills when they were there and like pull them off. Anytime they saw a bond, does Aaron have this one? OK, no, we're going to pull it. So over like a several like I think it took me like five or six years. Um, I ended up collecting every single bond movie on VHS. And um, Drew can probably back this up is the fact that I my roommate and I in college used to watch these bond movies almost every single night. And it was actually a TV that I think you gave us that we were able to. I had like a little VHS player in the TV that like we were able to watch that. Um, and so part of my memories is absolutely directly related to my freshman year in college <laughs> uh, with these movies. Um, I got them all on VHS and then I bought them all on DVD and then I bought them all on DVD special edition and then I bought them all on Blu-ray. So like I have like five different collections of every single Bond movie here. It's just they just they mean like I would almost rather watch a Bond movie than any other movie. Like a Bond movie to me is usually better than any other movie. Not really, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's that comfort food. You can just like sit back in and just love. Um, and, uh, before we, uh, get too far into it, um, I have a few things that I wrote down that I just want to wrap up really quickly. And I don't mean to like monologue too much on this, but it won't take me very long. At yes, all. you do. Don't lie. Um, you're right. Um, so my favorite movies, I think it's really difficult to pick a favorite Bond movie because um, they're so different based upon the actor. I think you have to pick favorite Bond movies within the actors. So I'm just going to roll them out. Dr. No, On Your Majesty's Secret Service, The Man with the Golden Gun, Living Daylights, Golden Eye, Casino Royale. 
My next Bond I want to see is either Tom Hiddleston as a Bond in a period piece, like set back in the 60s. Um, or I'd love to see them, someone move away from, um, or I want them to go in a different direction. Pick Idris Elba. Move something away from calling it James Bond and just calling it 007. And that way you can get anybody in the role you want to. So it's not James Bond, it's just 007. I think that'd be awesome. Then you can get women in the role, you can get anybody in the role. My favorite theme song, Live and Let Die. My favorite cold open, Casino Royale, You'll Never Beat the Black and White. My favorite tie- title card sequence is A View to a Kill. Um, made by Maurice Bender, who did all of them up until, I believe, Goldeneye. And um, he has admittedly said that part of the reason he wanted to do the title sequences is so he could film naked women. Which gets to the crux of the issue of the Bond movies, is they are all incredibly misogynistic and like just watching some of them with today's standards is just hard sometimes. Some of them are <laughs> tough. Yeah, tough. tough. So like I, I am I fully struggle with picking this as my favorite franchise today because I know full and well that they have lots of issues. Yeah. But it wouldn't be authentic if I didn't. Like I thought about picking Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, but really like this is it. Like this has meant like these have shaped more of my life than any other movies franchises have, and mm-hmm. um. I'm so excited for the next one, and I can't wait for them to drop Daniel Craig and get back to standalone anthology-type movies, because I think that would be great. Yeah. I was shocked when they kept him around after Spectre, because he looked old in Spectre. Yeah. He's going to like Roger Moore in this thing, like in terms of how old he is compared to the women they're pairing him with, and I'm really not looking forward to that. It's gross, man. Yeah, it is. I, I Even when they pair them with women that are the same age, they, like, do it in such a nasty way. Like, Spectre. Yeah. Like, um, what was her name? Gosh, oh, she's amazing. Oh, it's really refreshing. I have to look her up at some point. But they pair her, he pairs her with somebody who is her age. But he, like, the way he treats her still, and the girl he gets at the end is still, like, half of the age. Like, they don't. It is, man. So I really hope they kind of can can move away from that. But you're absolutely right. It's that happened with every Bond movie. Every Bond makes about one or two more movies than they really should. You know, Roger Moore, Roger Moore and and Roger Moore is really unique in that aspect where um, if you look at how Bond movies work, the first one in every single character, every single Bond um, actor's career, the first one is typically their best movie. And then Mm -hmm. it gets more out of like whack like it just gets crazier and crazier where you like start with live and let die which is an incredibly grounded awesome like yeah you have some sort of magical elements to it but it's like it's good. hinted at it's yes. hinted at right it's just like this is a thing they don't ever like make it the centerpiece of the story right and then you get to Moonraker, where you're fighting with space lasers in the middle of the station and and the reason I think Roger, by the way, Roger Moore's my favorite era. I've talked about this a little bit before in the past. They're just like the like biscuits and gravy. You know, it's just like they're exactly the same. I know what I like. I just they're just they feed everything the exact they're same way. Incredibly formulaic. Absolutely. You yeah. can. Yeah. And, and I and love some that people about. find comfort in that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're super campy. Like they are just I think I, I love the playfulness that Roger Moore brought to the role. Mm hmm. Um, but his was a unique run because it went to Moonraker and then it reset with For Your Eyes Only, which was an incredibly down-to-earth grounded movie as well. And then it got more and more outrageous when you got to A View to a Kill. 
Yeah. And so it's really cool to like, I mean, you got Dr. No to what? Um, Diamonds are forever, which is ridiculous. Goldeneye to him surfing on the Korean sea with an invisible space like car and like invisible car. And he has an ice castle in Diner of the Day, like the most outrageous Bosnian thing ever. The only one that didn't happen to was Dalton. And that's just because they only got two movies out of him. Mm hmm. Um, instead and like it happened with like Spectre Spectre was crazy too like I am the author of all your pain oh come on it's ridiculous that the reason I also I'm gonna tag on this a little bit (laughs) the reason I didn't care for Rise of Skywalker is because it also felt very Spectre to me Um, a very easy cop out of ooh I was the one controlling all of this the whole time (laughs) ha ha yeah come on anyways we're not gonna touch that for a second um, but yeah, what, like, have you guys watched many of the Bond movies? Are, are you aware of them? Drew, I think, I know, like I alluded to earlier, you probably saw a few of them in my room with me <laughs> when Definitely. we were there. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen, it's like more than six, but less than 10, probably. Yeah. I'm somewhere in there. They're like a very specific type of film. They're slow spy films. Like they're just, they are. The action is not really action packed. It's like watching Roger Moore, a 50 year old, try to throw a punch is not necessarily all that exciting. No. And <laughs> since know? we are talking, I guess, film franchises, too, though, the thing with me and Bond is like everything I like about Bond happens in Mission Impossible and Mission Impossible yeah. does it better. Right. No, I actually wrote almost I had started typing that out when I was like. Mission Impossible is doing it better than, and I fully, like, absolutely. Mission Impossible is doing it so much better than Bond right now. They are kind of different styles it, of yeah, movies. Yeah, it's not as, like, cool or, like, yeah. suave as James Bond. Like, That's, you don't really want to be Ethan Hunt. You know, like, right. half the people don't even know Ethan Hunt's name. Um, right, they're just yeah. like, yeah, the Tom Cruise. Um, but so you don't want to be Ethan Hunt like you want to be James Bond, which I totally, that's a point to Bond is that it has that like cachet. Yeah. I would argue that it's because the character has personality. Yeah. I think Ethan is a really, really cardboard character and I don't necessarily think it's his fault. I think Tom can push himself when he wants to see his cameo at the end of Tropic Thunder. Mm -hmm. That was his idea, right? The dude can act, but Ethan is so busy reacting to everything that happens around him. It's like the big, the setup of the entire movie is a thing's happening to me. I have to go now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, after that, it's just like reaction, reaction, reaction. And when someone is like on their back foot the whole time, you never really get a chance to know them. Right. And that's, that's frustrating for me. Yeah. That's one of the things that I feel like really does lose out. And when I don't identify with the character, when I don't see a human, right. I see just like a dude doing the dude stuff. It makes it really hard for me to connect with them as an audience member. So mission impossible for me is always going to be less than bond because I give a crap about the protagonist in the bond movies. Whereas (laughs) Ethan is just like, the first one is fun. I'll give you that. The first one is a blast. The second one since then, everyone since then has just been a little bit, a little bit tough for me. Drew, I don't want to get into it right now. <laughs> I, can, just, I can I can literally do a whole episode. I could just go solo for two hours on Mission Impossible by myself. But so, another yeah. thing that Bond does better than the Mission Impossible movies that I will give it credit for is it has iconic villains. Um, like you actually yeah. remember some of the villains um, in the Bond films and you don't remember anybody except for Philip Seymour Hoffman Seymour in Hoffman. Mission Impossible yep. 3, oh, that's who is exactly an absolute legend. Um, yeah. But the, all the rest of them are totally forgettable and like pretty much replaceable. Well, because um, it's I, I rip, think rip Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, well, for gosh. real. Pour one out for Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman right now, Aaron. <laughs> yeah. 
And I will just say right I quick. I just poured that um, on my logo. Yeah, we're, so on the I'm going to clean it up later. Brosnan is always going to be my number one. Because yes. Brosnan, Brosnan had had that swagger. He had that he had that that classiness to him. He is the I, coolest and, James Bond. Yes, and I think that's one of the things that he was about in the books that people overlook is like his his aloofness from the situations which allowed him and empowered him to engage in these things on a regular basis. So for me it will always be Brosnan. Goldeneye will always be my favorite James Bond movie. But after that is uh, Daniel Craig. And I think the silliness arc exists in every Bond, so I don't think it's necessarily bad to blame anybody no. for that. Um, and then Sean Connery, and then Timothy Dalton, and then um, Roger Moore, and then George Lazenby. Okay. Because I think I think Lazen, both Lazenby and Dalton get bad raps as actors yeah. for Bond because they were both in garbage movies. right? Oh. And if those movies weren't so bad, we have they would words. not have been so hard blacklisted. Oh, James Bond gets married and she gets shot immediately. Hey, there Great. is so much more. Her Majesty's Secret Service is the worst James Bond movie of all time. Ooh. Fight me. Moonraker okay. is better than on Her Majesty's Secret I would, Service. I would, I would like to. I would like to um, bring to the pedestal Dying of the Day as the worst Bond movie that has ever been made. I Remind challenge me. you to that movie has. Um, uh, James Bond starting out has been captured and is being traded for something else. And that movie has a terrible. It's awful. It is the movie that was Halle Berry. It was it, so it was essentially a recreation of Diner of the Day is a recreation of um, the man with the golden gun, essentially, uh-huh. yep. um, where you try to take something where you're using diamonds as yeah. a way to amplify. It, it's a mixture between uh, Di- the man with the golden gun and um, Goldeneye. Honestly, because Goldeneye has some. Um, well, it's also a callback to, like you were saying, diamonds are forever, right? The notion of mm-hmm. exploiting diamonds for their power. Yeah. 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 Um, Die Another Day is awful. It is I the argue worst. That movie. Die Another Day is, is, is the torture scenes in Die Another Day laid the groundwork for Daniel Craig in Casino Royale. Yeah. I think the torture scenes there and really grounding the brutality of the spy world was really impactful. And I don't think you had really seen that until that movie. No, so I give them well, major props for that. My problem is they immediately turn around and put him on a hovercraft, right? A hovercraft. And so it's like, well, and then they well. put him in an, in an, in a visible Aston Martin and then they put him in an ice castle. And then, and but, then you, you but, add but, in, um, a ridiculous. When you villain. talk about that movie in a vacuum, it is wild. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> It is absolutely wild. It's but so Die Another crazy. Day was also Q's send-off, and you may not disparage Q's send-off by calling it the worst Bond movie ever. That was so because that wasn't actually going to be his last movie, right? He no, was supposed it wasn't. to do another. It wasn't, yeah, right. That was and, um, and CGQ. when he sits there smiling at him as he goes down that that elevator and just disappears for the last time. Like I knew, I was like, he's not going to be in another one, and From, and he didn't make it. And that was just so magical it was such an elegant send-off for a character and hollywood doesn't often give characters the dignity to move on move out of that universe in a good way and i felt like q's send-off was so powerful like i, I cried in theaters when i saw it like it was I, it was brutal i actually think that 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 scene was cg i don't think that was actually that actor I'm yeah. pr- I think I think because I'm pretty sure that his work was done with that film and then he passed away. So they had to roll back around and film a goodbye mm. scene for him. Mm. Um, I think you could definitely fact check me. We'll we'll do a corrections no, next it. week. I on that. It. But I love um, it. 
Like, I love that. Uh, I think if you like Drew was saying, if you if you look at that movie in a vacuum, it's it's the worst one. If if you look at it as a continuation no. of the the style of what happens in every Bond movie, is like like era. Like Brosnan's era went from grounded Golden Knight to crazy Die Another Day. I was gonna say Die Another Day doesn't feel that like much more out there than Tomorrow Never Dies. Like no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And I think that's part of like also early night like early two thousand nineties action movies as yeah, well. Like, it's true. Like you know, I need to. I'm going to put it this way. I think Honor Majesty's Secret Service is better than Die Another Day. I think it is as entertainment value more boring than than Die Another. Like it, it's it's difficult. It's the one I've watched the least out of all of them. Um, and it's just mostly because it just I have a hard time getting through it a lot of times. But I, you talk to a lot of people who love the Bond franchise and they always, always have Honor Manager's Secret Service like up in their top five. Um, we have about two minutes left in this. And so I, I want to share Max, you did your list. I want to do my yeah. list real quick for you. of My favorite Bonds. Um, my favorite Bonds is Connery and then Frosnan, Moore. Craig Dalton Lazenby. I think that's Brosnan a very is the, different list. Yeah, very. Yeah, and I think that's. I mean, it's it, it, which is really interesting too because I think Bond re, like brings about the juxtaposition between who's your favorite actor and who's like what kind of movies do you like? You yeah, know? because there's so much. Variety. I like the more movies. I love. I love the more movies. My favorite actor though is Connor. I just. I think. Like those early movies with him in it, he just fits that like Yep. He Connery to me has the ability to be charming, but also like I, I will kill you if I need to. Abrasive. And I never believed that from Brosnan. Brosnan was a good mix between um Dalton and Moore. But like Connery, I just felt like a I'm going to get this done whether you stand in my way or not. Good luck. You know? Like but he was also like could turn on the like incredibly charming kind of personality. I don't know, I love Connery in those um in those films. Um we have one minute left and uh Drew do you have any do you have a list of who your uh favorites are? Or since you've only seen 6, do you want to do you want to Yeah, I am in? with I am with Max that I think Sh- uh not Sean Connery, Pierce Brosnan is absolutely yeah. the best Bond. He is the coolest, he is the most suave. He is like the British secret agent he is her yeah. majesty's secret service he is the definition of that to me yeah um i've only seen like a handful i've seen two of the sean connery ones and i think i've seen one of the roger moore and one of the timothy dalton ones so i don't feel like i can make an absolute guess but even when you look at the posters and stuff i'm like man brosnan yeah. is just cool like yeah <sighs> brosnan was my favorite for a very long time and then as i got older i appreciated and liked connery more you know, I'm with you. Brosnan was my first love of Bond. Most of the time, and this almost works every single time with people, it's very rare that it doesn't. Your first Bond that you see is typically your favorite Bond character. Yeah, and, that's, and that is true for me. Goldeneye was the first one that I ever so, saw. Especially so. if you saw Goldeneye first, because that movie kicks like, yeah, that movie's awesome. <laughs> it's so good. And the video I mean, game, like, it was, yeah. like, it was a cultural moment, honestly. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. And I think Bond is, I mean, we can get into that too, but Bond is more famous for Goldeneye the movie. I'm uh, not Goldeneye, I'm sorry, Goldeneye the video game than I think he is for, for the movies now. Like, it's probably for, true for the in books, pop, for sure. Culture. But that's enough about Bond. We don't need to talk about him anymore. Let's get into something else. Um, since I went, I want to pick somebody else now. And I'm going to pick Drew because that's what Max wants. <laughs> okay. <Aww. laughs> um, so my personal favorite, I wanted to get weird with this. I like wasn't thinking about like my favorites because I think we can talk about like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and mm-hmm. um, yeah, Lord of the Rings and um, not the Hobbit um, but, <laughs> um, all day. But uh, so I just noted five um, like franchises in a sense that like kind of meant something to me. Maybe we can go through them. I know this is sort yeah, of breaking the it. segment, but no, uh, no. Uh, the first one is I wrote down the De- Desperado trilogy, El Mariachi Desperado, yes. Once Upon a Time in Mexico by Robert yes. Rodriguez. Love that trilogy. Um, they're all great and they all mm. like you can just see like I think El Mariachi he made for less than 150 grand. Um wow. And they just get progressively crazier as the budget goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, those are so much fun, even bringing Johnny Depp in for Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just think those films are tremendous. And I actually, I love Robert Rodriguez too. Um, Planet Terror is also like another, uh, that's another Rodriguez joint that I think goes under, goes underlooked. Um, even though Death Proof is probably better, but um <laughs> Yeah. Any thoughts on those? Have you guys seen those? Or I, I've only seen parts of Desperado and a little bit of Once Upon a Time, and so I have to go back and watch oh, them. You gotta so I, watch I, those. Yeah, man. I don't really yeah. have much to comment. I, I yeah, I, I need to. Yeah, I fell They're in actually, love with Antonio Banderas in The Mask of Zorro, right, first. Mm-hmm, me too. Yes. And, and oh, I love that movie. In my mind, that's one of the like the last charming swashbuckler movies that have been made. 100%. Because they keep trying yeah. to recreate them, and it's real hard to get there. Yeah. I'd like to present um, to you Pirates of the Caribbean, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, we will. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> I promise we'll get there. Um, and I loved, I loved Banderas in that because it was so fun to see him play bad. Like it was so, you know, and to see the juxtaposition of the characters and to see the the rising stakes through the movies. And like you, I love Rodriguez. There's a real visceral quality to his movies that humanizes them so much, even when they're outlandish. So Planet Terror is like obviously got ridiculous special effects. My buddy had a poster of it in his bathroom for the longest time. The woman has a machine gun leg, right? Yep. Like, come on. It's yep. pulp. It's pulp. It's literally the definition of pulp. And... I love it because it pays so much homage to that while also zooming in the cameras enough to see the actors and their sweat. Right. And like it feel, it just feels so gross mm-hmm. and that's exactly what you're supposed to feel. And the way he does that beyond the script, beyond the props is so cool. I love him. Even if it, even it just feels like the lens of the camera itself has mm-hmm. some like dirt mm-hmm. on it. It's mm-hmm. yeah. They're so great. Um, Aaron, when you when you go back and rewatch those movies, honestly, you have to start with El Mariachi because they're not like linear sequels. But imagine like El Mariachi is basically the film that he uh, that he like wanted to make, um, but didn't have a budget. You know, like he paid for his he paid for Mm -hmm. some of that movie with like um, 
selling his own body parts for like medical testing and stuff like that. Um, but then Desperado is the one that he wanted to make. It's basically the same movie, but how he wanted to make it with a bigger budget, except he doesn't <laughs> screw it up like Lucas did, you know, with like with Star Wars <laughs> and yeah, like yeah, added yeah. a bunch of like nonsense to it. Oh, man. Yeah, I I would like to I, I'm very excited. I actually just really I'm so glad you brought that up because I was just scrolling through Amazon um, Prime yesterday. My dad was my dad and I um, and my mom, we watched Sonic the Hedgehog a couple nights ago and we were scrolling through, which is a fantastic family fun movie. Everyone should go watch that best video game movie out there. I'm going to stamp that. Um, and so I think that, um, well, no, anyways, we were going through it and I saw Desperado and Once Upon a Time in Mexico for free on Amazon Prime. And I was just like, I need to watch those. Are those are those sequels? Are those the same franchise? So I, like, I didn't know. Like, I'm glad you're bringing this all to my attention because I'm in. Um, it'll be it'll be on my watch list over the next few weeks for sure. Yeah. You, you also, I want to shout man. out to Marco uh, the Mask of Zorro because I think that it's so good. It's so good. For I sure. have a love of Zorro. There used to be a old black and white Disney um, Zorro TV show. I used to watch it every single night. Every single night I would watch that thing. Um, and I like read, read Zorro books. Like, I, yeah. Yeah, Max, I'm glad you used the word swashbuckling too because they are like, Desperado is like a swashbuckling film with, like with machine mm-hmm. guns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yes, absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. Yeah. And and the like the charming rogue is more rogue than charming. Right. But also because it's Antonio Banderas, like it's equally charming. Oh, the guy just drips charm. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. I love like, him so much. Like, yeah. He, he, he released his own cologne line at one point. It was called Blue. And I insisted on buying it. And I like went into JCPenney. Like the commercial is him literally like he comes in the room and like walks a circle around a woman and then like looks at the camera. And that's it. Like that's all that happens, right? Because that's all you you need. That's all you need. How do you visually sell a fragrance, right? And And you're like like, looking at yourself on the couch and suddenly you're naked. You're like, how did I get here? I don't (laughs) understand. What What did he do to me? (laughs) Yeah. And so I went to get it. I remember JCPenney. I was like, do you have blue by Antonio Banderas? And the woman looked at me and her lip curled a little bit. And she said, You'll probably find that at Rite Aid. <laughs> and I did. I found it at Rite Aid. I went down the road and I found it at Rite Aid and it smelled lovely. And that was my fragrance for like a year and a half back in high school. Antonio Banderas is a man of the people, man. He is. He's, absolutely. He's not he too good for Rite Aid. <laughs> um, the, next, two? Uh, the next kind of like series franchise that I brought up is like uh, Bong Joon-ho's like American trilogy basically oh is like God, sort of what yes. I call it like in my head yes. um, so that's The Host and then Snowpiercer and then Parasite totally mm-hmm. totally wow, unrelated yeah. but they're his three obviously I think everybody knows about Parasite now um, but the three most uh, yeah the three most western of his films I guess mm-hmm. and don't get the host confused with whatever like nonsense the Twilight writer wrote up after the Twilight yeah. films. Uh, but the host is a 2004 Korean flick about it's a, it's a monster it's movie a monster just movie. straight up. Yep. Uh, it's a family drama, but also a monster movie. Snowpiercer stars Chris Ovens actually, which I think people forget about. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, before, I think that was before Captain America. Maybe um, it was it was well, between it was Captain like America between. and Winter Soldier. Yeah, okay. it was between Captain America. It was between the release of America and the Winter Soldier. But he had finished filming the Winter Soldier and then did Snowpiercer. Okay, yeah, 
And also an incredible cameo at the end um, by yeah, another yeah. actor who will not be named. Um, That's right. No case. spoilers. Go watch yeah. the movie. Seriously. Yes. Until the Swinton, and I will watch any movie that Tilda yeah. Swinton is in. Um, incredible supporting role for her, um, for Snowpiercer. And then Parasite doesn't have any... Um, I don't think Parasite has any Western actors in it, but still just a tremendous film. There's a point in Parasite, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but there's a point in the end, um, and I love when movies do this, but there's a point at the end of Parasite where I was just like, how the F did they do that? Like, I don't understand. Is this a set? Like, because Mm -hmm. if so, this is the Mm -hmm. craziest set I've ever seen. Um, Or if this is on location, I still have no idea how they made this happen. Um, And sure enough, it's a set. Um, like I watched it behind the scenes and it's just like, it just gobstopped my mind. Um, so, um, that was, that was one, um, again, I'm trying to go like deep cuts. I hope that isn't too hipster of me, but oh, uh, no, not at all. <laughs> um, the other ones I have like the DreamWorks trilogy is actually, cause I know we talk about Disney on the show a lot, but, um, the Kung Fu Panda trilogy and the how to train your mm-hmm. dragon trilogy, I think go toe to toe, um, with the Disney ones and I'm Chinese American. So the, um, the Kung Fu Panda movies, the first two are actually, um, directed by Asian Americans and the second one by a woman, um, which I think is really cool. Um, and they all have like a Buddhist teaching they all kind of revolve around like a central tenet of like buddhist tradition which i think is really cool um how to train your dragon it falls off a little bit at the end um but the second one is like absolutely just like it's up there like with toy story 2 for movies that just like do it better than the first one um and just a yeah, just a tremendous, tremendous series from the way they did everything to the way they characterized the dragons to move like cats um, and stuff like that. Yeah, I can't say enough enough good things about all of those movies. Yeah, I, I I I have not yet finished the third one. I've tried to watch that three times. I've not gone through it. I, I can't. I don't know what it is about the third How to Train Your Dragon. It just doesn't catch me at all. And but the first two, I'm in. I love those. They're so good. That's fair. I will say that, um, like, the third one kind of drags a little bit, but the ending is really good, especially if you think of it as the ending for, like, the whole, the franchise as yeah. a whole. Um, it has a it has a really strong ending, and not I don't feel like every every film nails the ending, but yeah, they yeah. totally do. Yeah, I feel like it's really rare that you get a trilogy that, <laughs> that nails that ending. Yeah, and I think Toy Story 3 did, too, um, but then they had to go and make Toy Story 4, so... Mm. Um, quick sidebar ugh. did you like toy story 4 i liked it a lot I, I, cried. I liked it yeah i liked it but like was it as good as three or even two no, definitely, definitely not, not. Yeah. No, yeah no 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 yeah i haven't um, seen it yet i can't bring myself to watch it yet i'm still in that phase I, like i i just it makes me so sad <laughs> yeah. just like they just like you know machine gun their ips out of the money cannon at our faces, and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Do you know who um, probably wouldn't have done that? Is Eisner. We probably saw- wouldn't have Toy Story 4. We probably would have some really awesome, awesome, great movie other than that. After we just <laughs> talked I- about how Eisner specifically, like, <laughs> steered all of these weird, bizarre straight-to-DVD sequels. Yeah, You're right. All of those would be straight-to-DVD, wouldn't they? <laughs> it wouldn't even be close. Nah. <laughs> um, uh, that was what? You got, do you have any more? No, those were the main ones, and I already touched on my love of the Mission Impossible movies, too. Yeah. Um, well, give us a little bit more about that, because you obviously are very passionate about that, and I would love to hear a little bit more about what... Because for me, Mission Impossible really is like, here's a bunch of gadgets, the end. Yeah, And it's so like, where, can I take, flush, it, flush it out for me. Can yeah. I take this time real quick before go you start, it, Drew? Go for it. 
um, to announce something that I decided yesterday that I haven't told Drew yet, but I hope he's willing to do it with me. Oh boy, we're gonna we're gonna side project um, and record on the weekends. But I'd like to do a like in review style of Mission Impossible movies where we watch all six of them and then go through them one by one and talk about them, kind of go through the plot and that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's gonna be happening because Drew and I had talked about that for quite a while. That we want to get off and start, and because I've always wanted to start doing a, um, so we're either going to do a film commentary like we've done in the past for all of them, which I think would be super fun to watch them all together and do a film commentary, or we'll watch them and then do some sort of like review afterwards. But that is going to come. I don't know when, but it is going to be here because um, I I have I we have to we have to only for Mission Impossible two. We have to get on the podcast and go through all of them together just so we can argue about that because one. Because I hate <laughs> Mission Impossible 2. It's it's probably in my bottom 10 for like worst movies I've ever seen. It's indefensible. Um, it, yeah. it, it also and may have the best opening sequence I've ever seen. Also, <laughs> that's he's that's cool. actually that's true. It is a great it opening sequence. Awesome. That's where he's free climbing, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. he just tosses that's, the glasses and they break up and that's insane. how it starts the theme. And your theme song is Limp Biscuit. I mean, yeah. come on. I, I did like, like that. Early 2000s. Can you get like yeah. it's so good. Anyways, we'll argue about that later. But like, yeah, if you want to go into more about mission, you can. So Aaron touched on it a little bit, and I think you even said too, Max, but basically the thing, the best thing about those movies is the plot. Like they just hand everything to you. Um, With those movies, they like 100%, they literally just spell everything out. They're like, this is crazy. This is impossible. And we're going to do it. Uh, We don't know how, (laughs) but we're going to get there along the way. And every single one of the movies just like follows like a lot of those set pieces. Um, Mm -hmm. And those movies, uh, I love one of the things that I really like resonate with in a good movie is pacing. Um, Mm -hmm. And one, three, four, five, and six of those movies are all just incredibly paced. They build super well to like um, the most tense point. Um, And even like the first one, that scene. in Langley, right? I think that's like the most indicative. That's probably the most famous scene of the franchise. It's the most famous scene from right, that right, movie, right. even though it's not the finale, actually. Um, but the finale is on a bullet train um, in the middle of Europe, which is wild. Um, but the CG in that, but the CG in that nineteen ninety six movie is not great. So, um, but the Langley scene is so good because they set that up. You know the rules, right? So, like, you know that you can't go above this certain noise. You know that you. You can't touch anything. You know that you can't um, like even raise the temperature in the room. So you're aware of all of these factors. And then as he's being lowered down from the roof, you just have to like, you're thinking about that as the audience. And it's exactly where Tom Cruise's character's mind is at the same time. Um, And the whole thing just feels so unbelievably tense. You're like, how could they possibly do this? Um, and I think each movie, they just keep building on that. Like in the fourth one, he jumps off the friggin' Burj Khalifa. You're like, how could he possibly do this? Um, but then he actually does it. So um, that's the thing that I love about all of those movies is like the intense plotting. And then, yeah, like the character, the characterization isn't as strong, but you totally just get like, you know, all the rules, you know, the stakes, you know how it works. And you just have to watch the watch it play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think. Um, speaking on the characterization specifically, I, I wanted to talk about this earlier. I'm glad we're wrapping back around to it is like, I think 
Tom Cruise's character is he's the company man. Like that's what he is. Like he that he plays the CIA role or the IMF. Um, <laughs> Which is want. such a dumb name, but it's I love such a dumb name. I love that they lean into some of those things from oh, like yeah. the old '60s show too. That it, that they're just like, yeah, that's dumb, yeah. but we're just gonna roll with it. Well, and just like <laughs> that's it's and like I, I'm pretty sure in the most recent three that we've seen, somebody has said whether it's the Alec Baldwin character or somebody of like, yeah. It's impossible. That's why we exist. Like, it's something like, duh. Like, why do you think we have the impossible mission for us? Like, to do these things that are impossible. Um, but, like, I feel like Tom Cruise, it's because it's not a, like what they do so well there. And I think the introduction of Simon Pegg probably is just as great for the franchise as having Tom Cruise as the the me, the lead. Like, him as like Benji is just incredible. Yeah, like, that he really helps. Such an amazing adds a job. lot to the films. Um, but like he's just like he is. He is the IMF company man. So like he's gonna get the mission done. He's gonna do what he needs to do. But he adds just a little bit, just enough Tom Cruise like cruisiness to it to like make it really interesting. On top of just this boring slate of a character who's just gonna get the job. You know, like I love it. I I, I love the way he plays that character. And I, it is. It's about like the missions and the all the actors they brought in. I don't know. I, I love them. They're so good. I'm with you interesting I don't want to take this time to rain on the parade <laughs> but I'm, I'm just trying to identify like why they don't resonate with me as much and I think we touched on it earlier with the characterization but I also think now that we're talking a little bit more about the situations and about the stakes and about the craziness of these circumstances like for me there's no real tension because I know that Ethan's not going to die Right. I know Ethan's not going to die. So it's hard for me to be too worried in any of these situations. Obviously, the first one standalone. Um, and then they started to do something that I thought was really fun and which is why I actually liked elements of two was they started to, like, give him doubt and give him characterization and like, you know, who do I really trust? And am am I doing the right thing when I just follow orders and. And like, there's all the nuance with that woman he loves. And there's that horrifying scene that I will always remember with the man getting his fingertip chopped off in the cigar oh, cutter. Yeah. yeah, that was rough. <laughs> right. That was that stuck with me, man. I still like I, I smoke cigars casually. And um, like Will Smith, I, it's for the look. I, I, I don't I don't I don't inhale. Just for the look. I don't light it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Welcome I to do Earth. light it, but I just, I just, it's like you swish it around in my mouth and spit it out. The point is, um, <laughs> I can't look at a cigar holder the same. And a movie that has that sort of a lasting impact on you is, is a movie to take note of. And I really liked a lot of that tension. Um, but I think what's been hard is like as technology catches up, like as real world technology starts to get to the point that it is, um, science fiction technology has to get that much more ridiculous. Right. And so what winds up happening is you get this like and at which point you run into the conundrum of magic, which is, well, as long as the system is believably set out in this world, then I'll believe it. But you can also run into the problem of it's like it's magic. I don't have to explain anything. Right. And there have been a number of gadgets and situations where it's just like a thing is going to happen and he's going to live and it's fine. And oh, look, he was betrayed. Whoa. No have way. You, that guy was a bad guy. Have you and it's seen hard the last for three? Me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, just, the ghost protocol one though what i hear what you're saying with the technology that makes sense yeah, um, yeah. but even the things I, like the scene with the screen where they're like pushing that screen that's like yes, projecting the picture i on, love that that's so cool and it's like 
it's the, it's the thing I like about this movie is, is it's tweak enough. It's like there's no way that can be real, right? Like right, that would work, right. or could it? Could it? Could it? Yeah, <laughs> right. Is it no? And like the fact that they know and they understand that the mask rule is ridiculous, but they have to have one in every movie is so cool. And you just like that kind of stuff puts you on the edge because you watch the most and you're like, wait, is. Is that really Ethan? Is that somebody else? Like you don't sometimes you don't quite know until they pull that. I love the mask reveal every single time. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. I will I absolutely give you credit, Max, that they are like they're kind of gimmicky. Like there's no right. there's no doubt yeah. about that. I will absolutely yeah. not. I won't die on that hill <laughs> for sure. No. Well, well, I definitely want to go back and watch them because I think sometimes because uh, as I was watching them growing up, like I was I was developing my awareness of movies and storytelling and stuff. So there was this like parallel going on with me about like learning about how movies are made and all that nonsense. And so I think I, I might have wound up going too um, too hardcore in my analysis and losing out on some of the fun aspects of it that are just like built in there for that. Right. Like the Philip Seymour Hoffman movie obviously was incredible. That mm-hmm. was three, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so for three for me was really the cap. And then when they brought it back, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And and since then, it's been like it's been a struggle to find their identity. And I think that's what a lot of like it's it's almost like the first season of a TV show. You know, where they're like trying to figure out who the characters are and what are the dynamics and what what sticks and what doesn't. Um, and, and so for me, the new ones felt a lot like that at first, which is why it was harder for me to get into. Um, but I, one of the things I want to shout out in the series is just the fact that Tom Cruise does so many of his own stunts. It's wild. Like home, Homeboy broke his leg in the most recent one. He's 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 trying hard to be Jackie Chan, which I respect him for. Yeah. Right. But he he broke his leg in the most recent one, and you can watch it. They've got the the film clip floating That's around the-, the internet where he leaps over a a, a space between the two skyscrapers. And brace his leg on his fall. I'm I'm almost positive that's the take I in the movie. I think it's the take in the movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah it that's is. the take they use in the movie, which is incredible. It's but so they quick good. Edit, they quick edit away from him landing on that foot, right? So you don't see the leg break. Well, you, you like, kind of see the, the leg cut. break, but then they switch to another angle where okay. he's running yeah, again, yeah. like immediately yeah. after. So, yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, he also learned how to fly a helicopter for that film, too. Um, yes, he did. So, yes, he did. Good for him. Yeah, it's it's wild. But uh, yeah, that's me. Your turn to share, Max. Good. Well, I'm grateful you went hipster because I'm going to bring us back around to Fanboy Central. Yes. Here. I'm, I want us to talk about Lord of the Rings and Pirates of the Caribbean and Star Wars. And if we have time, we'll get into a few other um, token series that I adore and want to touch on. Um, number one for me has to be the Lord of the Rings. Um, it just like redefined epic cinema for the 21st century. Uh, I turned like it came out like during the week of my birthday every every week it was coming out. So growing up that combined with winter break at school combined with my birthday was just epic. Every time I was like, I've got two weeks off school. It's my birthday party and we're going to this movie. And it was just like. That was my first real experience of being in a movie theater with people who were just as passionate about a thing as I was, right? Because I liked Star Wars, but I never went to the premieres. And uh, so being in those, being in that environment with the people who knew everything and were whispering to each other about like the languages and what they meant and the translations and the moments like, and oh, this isn't in the book. Like when Arwen shows up, it's like, what? Where is, you know, oh crap, I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, Glorfindel. Where is Glorfindel? I don't want Arwen. I want Glorfindel. And and just like being able to nerd out about those moments live with an audience was unreal. And so there were 
there were a number of moments about it that really made it stick for me. Um, one of them, and nobody believes, but I insist on telling the story anyway because it happened to me and it was fun. Um, moments like Gandalf's fall in Moria is one of the most impactful moments in cinema. That and I've even just the score for that scene by itself, like and you could just listen to the Bridge of Khazad Dune on that soundtrack, and it just gets you still. Yes, yes, and that is why that is why I want to bring this up is because so when when it happened, there was just like this moment, right? And and you get that that solo voice coming in. And it's this note progression. And in my head, I was, because my whole, this whole series I was doing, here's what I would do. Here's what I would do. If this was mine, here's what I would do. And that note progression, like as it was happening, like I heard the first note and I started to just like sing the notes I would do after that. And it was the same. And I was like, I sang the song with the score as it happened. And I was like, this movie is meant for me. Like, this is my soul. This is my spirit. This is my heart. You have it, right? You've done it. And so you start out with the fellowship and, and fellowship probably is still my favorite um, just because there's that sense of expectancy and adventure. And there's all these little nods, like, like you see the scythe coming across the, the cornfield and, you know, Sam screams, you've been in farmer maggots crop. And the, the, there's the nods to the, the bigger story that they didn't have time to tell. Um, I am pissed. They didn't include Tom Bombadil because he's like one of the most important characters in the entire series in, in all of the history of Middle Earth. Um, and so to kind of cop out on that is kind of BS to me. I really resent um, Peter Jackson for skipping over that. Um, I resent that he didn't let um, Legolas be more of a character. I th- you know, because you, you hear in interviews with Orlando Bloom, they're like, "What? Did, how was it for you? And he's like, well, it's okay. I mean, mostly they just told me to stand around and peer at things. Yeah. So... And he was there to do cool stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you know like, exactly. Which is why, which is why they overcompensated and stuck him in the Hobbit was because he felt like he had done him bad. Um, but the, the like the rising scale of those movies, the pacing of it, the development of the characters, um, the the moment that scene on on um, this this seeing stare at the falls of Raros where Aragorn turns down the ring, says go. And looks at him and you, it's the slow-mo pan out where he stands up, draws his sword oh, and comes yeah. down the hill. And they come out over this mountain of Uruks, right? And you see all of it happening. And it's just like, and then, and then, and then the swords clash and we're into live action. And like the sacrifice of Boromir, there's just so many moments. And moments, I think for me, make great stories, make great film. And a director who let those moments happen in a scale this large was tremendous to me. Like we didn't get Tom Bombadil, but we had the moment where Gimli is like torn up because Lady Galadriel gave him three of her hairs. Like it chokes me up just thinking about it. Like, and all of these moments, all this nuance, these characters is it's included. And I love that about the series. And I love that the action happens. Um, the representation of the ends was incredible. Um, I really think it's sad that, Christopher Lee had to be Saruman instead of Gandalf, but I think yeah. he made a much better Saruman than Gandalf. I agree so, with the casting. Apparently, um, though, Tolkien has was Tolkien was friends with Lee. Yes, and, and, yes, and Tolkien Lee, said Lee. that Lee should be Gandalf. Like that's who he wanted to play as Gandalf from Tolkien. And when they so when everybody got cast and when they were sitting around doing their reading, so quick backstory: I just did a ton of. Um, there's a podcast out there called. I think it's just called In Review. It's done by the Kindy Funny Guys, the Greg Miller company. 
Um, they just went through all the extended edition Lord of the Rings movies. I highly recommend everybody who likes Lord of the Rings listen to those podcasts because they have so much really cool, interesting things. If you've seen the director's commentary, you don't necessarily need to go through all of them. But if you have it and you want to just listen to a podcast, they're awesome. They're sitting around the the reading table for the first time. And this is all Christopher Lee does. And he's <laughs> just like he, he talks to, to Ian McKellen. like, you know. Tolkien wanted me to be Gandalf and that's like all he's like and then he like gets over it and not gets over but you know but then like goes and talks and like becomes the best Saruman ever like he's an amazing Saruman um I just thought that was kind of like a little funny thing is it's like you know Tolkien wanted me to do this but I know you're gonna do it you know like yeah yeah and Gandalf was better and Ian McKellen oh, yeah. nailed that role yeah Gandalf was awesome Gandalf is incredible so many of the actors did such a great job and I think what's incredible to me about that series is the so the score is incredible the costume is incredible the detail like the scope of it is unreal right in 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 terms of movie making and what i love is that within that scope all the moments happen and you get a combination action mystery horror adventure movie that is like the 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 full spectrum of life experience like he ticks all the boxes it's truly and i love it yes absolutely it is absolutely it is and the casting was so good and the the acting is so good. Everybody does a great job. Um, and the special effects really too. Like it. I don't think they get talked about enough. But like the mixing the real and the practical and stuff like that. I think mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings and Jurassic Park are the only movies that have like stood. I mean, obviously we've got like ten ten years between Jurassic Park and um, mm-hmm. you know Lord of the Rings, but. Um, both of those movies like just seamlessly hold up. They don't feel dated in the yep. slightest. And that's yep. a testament to the power of that filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I agree with you yeah. too. The fellowship is Lord the best, by the way. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> so thoughts about Lord of the Rings since we're on the subject. Oh my gosh. So I, my favorite's two towers, I think. I do love the fellowship. It's the two towers, then fellowship, and then and then returning the king um, mm-hmm. for me. I I, I I just went through them. I just watched all all the extended editions. I mean, literally just this last couple of weeks, and I probably watched them if like um you know they're the only like them and Star Wars. I think are really the only other than like probably maybe Bond or something that I, I will absolutely. I watch them every year, probably a few times a year. Like I those they're just. They're so good, uh, and just the scale and like everything you just talked about w- was incredible, and and just all and the behind the scenes on all of these things are so amazing. The scene in Return of the King where Theoden is hitting is making his speech, and they're all yelling out "death," and he's hitting the spears with a sword as he runs by as he rides by them. What Peter Jackson did is, is he asked all those actors and extras who was like kind of the most passionate people about Lord of the Rings and brought them to the very front of the line. So they would produce the most powerful like passion and emotion within those scenes. Like, I just think that the Jackson did such a good job of picking the places and like the people he needed to put in these areas to get the emotions of those films. Yeah. And like, most of the most of the Rohirrim were women because he wanted real equestrians in the saddle who knew mm-hmm. what they were doing on horses. Right. And so. Like most of the people in the saddle are female and it just reinforces that whole AON sub story about no man can kill me. Right. Right. It's just so good. And little details like that, that you don't see in the movies, but like that contribute to the, 
the the reality of it and the power of it. And I think it's a testament to um, like the fact that you could tell that those movies were made because Peter Jackson loves the Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings. You know, when he mm-hmm. loves Tolkien, because like I remember when it was announced that he was directing them, like I'd seen a couple of his other like weird horror films before yeah. then. And I was like, this Joker is going to be making like the most epic trilogy ever and like the expensive film ever made. This is wild. And then when I saw <laughs> the movie, it just completely blew me away. And I will say, actually, I don't say this for me personally about a lot of films, um, but as someone who's read the books and stuff like that, too, I haven't like dived hard. Like I'm not like a Silmarillion. Um, I'm not that I'm not that hardcore. I I freely admit. Um, But I think those movies are literally perfect. Like I would not add anything to them. I don't take anything away from them. I actually, when I go back through a rewatch, I don't even watch the extended versions as often, even though I own both in collector's edition Blu-rays. I actually prefer the theatrical cuts because to me, like, again, like the pacing of the films just like moves perfectly and everything about those movies feels handcrafted and perfect. And like, it's like telling a chef, like, you just made me the best meal I've ever had in my life, but I really wish you would have put parsley on the top. I'm like, no, you you did your thing. And it was great. (laughs) Yeah. From, from what I understand about some of the extended edition cuts is the, um, a lot of those scenes were added in to, to nod to the people who care, who like worse, like one of those little pieces that were in the books that like he wanted to pay tribute to the people who were more into the lore than just the movie side of it. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that, I think you're absolutely right, though. Like the pacing's a little off. Like the theatrical versions, I think, are the better versions of the film. Even though I like watching the extended, because I kind of just, I don't know. I just like anytime you add little extra stuff that I didn't get originally, just really excites me. You know, like it's like those kind of movies are made for me. Director's cuts, anything that like is different from theatrical, like ooh, what did you guys do that I didn't get to see the first time that mm-hmm. didn't make it? You know. Um, but yeah, it, it, they're just they're they're and they're so good. I love those. I, I had yeah. to really. I, I I was I was so close to choosing Lord of the Rings for my favorite film franchise. That was the one that I wanted to go to. Um, but but yeah, it's just mm. yeah. yeah, Max. I like that you talked about that too because I'm also a January birthday. So I saw I think I saw Fellowship on my birthday. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, like you mentioned, the theatrical experience of those I, that's really important, and I'm glad you touched on that. That's a great point. Thank you. Yeah, the scene in the Two Towers where where Legolas is shooting at the war riders as they come over the hills. And then he hops on the back of that horse as they come over the hill, right? The entire audience was just like, it was like when Cap picked up that hammer in, oh, in yeah. him, right? Yep. Where yep. it's just like the, the audience went, <laughs> and just like everyone was on their feet and popcorn was in the air. And it was just like insane. And then like all the action was happening and the epic music is going. It was just so perfect. It was so good. And and I've had I've had that experience a handful of times since in theaters, but not many, not many. And and it, I, I value Lord of the Rings for its capacity to bring so many people together that way. All right, um, next is Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean is my number two favorite movie of all time. Number three favorite movie of all time. Um, I, I count them all as one, just like I do with Lord of the Rings. I cheat like a, a mofo. Um, but I love pirates, and I, I will say that they are very nuanced and very um, incendiary as a series. Um, but number one, Pirates of the Caribbean was lightning in a bottle. 
Pirates of the Caribbean 1 was far and away a way better movie than it was ever meant to be. Ever. Like, it was It was just supposed to be, like, a fun summer blockbuster. Hey, we made a movie. What, what Disney ride movie has ever had that good a response, right? Yeah. Like, The Haunted Mansion with Bill Murray. <laughs> Eddie uh, Murphy. Eddie Murphy, yeah. Um, what else did they try to do? Tomorrowland? It doesn't matter. Does that count? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, anyway, it was just, like, it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. And that movie sold me on so many aspects of different things and it was fun and it was gross and it had incredible characters and a really convoluted plot right up to the end where they're tossing the coin back and forth and you don't know who's alive and who's undead anymore and it's so good and it's so good and and that last scene where jack grins at the camera and drops the bloody coin into it as will stabs barbosa like that's amazing Right. And there's little there's little breadcrumb trails in the second movie when they're at Teodalmo's house. The first time they visit. Right. They don't say anything about it. And you can see Barbosa's boots sticking out on a table in the back room as she's working on bringing him back. Well, right. That, and so it, it, like he comes the monkey down goes the over there. Uh huh. And that move, the smile, the monkey smile, obviously was unscripted. Right. They didn't plan for that to happen. But when he says we name the monkey Jack. And the monkey <laughs> smiles like no one planned that. You can't train a monkey to do that, but he did it. And it's like, this was just, this is destiny, right? This was meant to happen. And I thought, I thought they did such a good job. And the, the, the way that they had different accents, different pirate accents, everyone wasn't just Barbosa being a pirate, but Barbosa got to be the pirate. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that was so good. I want to see and Jeffrey Rush just in more movies in general. Me too. He's incredible. Like, He's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Everything I've in- ever seen him in, he nails. Um, like he's in uh, uh, Love Actually. Shakespeare in um, Love. Yeah. Which is really you good. You alluded he's to it Love earlier, Actually, Aaron, but you said good. Mystery yeah. Men. Jeffrey Rush's like small role in Mystery Men. Yes. Ah, chef's Kiss. Oh, yes. So good. I, was, I almost yes. made that one of my clues because Hank Azari is also in Mystery Men. Yeah. <laughs> and like he was in Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. And William H. Macy was in Mystery mm-hmm. Men, but the, not in Godzilla. The shoveler. Oh, yeah. yes. God Do you... gave me a gift. I shovel well. <laughs> Oh, I love Mystery Man. Um, yes, it's so fun. We should we should do a film commentary on Mystery Man. I think. Um, yeah, but here's uh, my thing. With, th- sorry, Aaron, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, I just love like you guys nailed it early about Lord of the Rings. It's just Lord of the Rings has hype moment after hype moment after hype moment. Like, mm-hmm. but also like perfectly balanced with just these really emotional scenes as well. Mm-hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't think I have ever seen an end credits scene as hyped as maybe not end credits, but like a reveal as hyped as I was at the end of the second one when mm-hmm. Barbosa came back. That was just the most like, oh, what? Just like, I cannot believe you're doing this. Like, Yeah, that's, that's a flip the table moment for sure. Yeah, it was so incredible. Um, I got to, you guys talk, I got to take care of some water I just spilled for a second and not let it hit my electronic cords. I will be right back. Yeah, so for me, Pirates 1 was incredible. It was one of the best movies I've ever seen. Um, 2 struggled. But Bill Nye, I would watch read a phone book. Uh, so you're 100 percent correct. Yep. Yeah. Bill Nye is a treasure. <laughs> yes, and and that movie was so so good, and I really enjoyed it, and I loved 
like the notion of octopus face playing a, a, a melodic, like a, what are they called? It was a, an organ, not an organ. The hurdy so hurdy? Like is that organ. what that thing is? Yeah. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Good, good knowledge, sir. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, so yes, playing that like with his tentacles to like make it easier for him to play was just ridiculous to me. And there was a lot of heart in that one. I think that really was great. They really encompassed the idea of loss. Well, um, and so I really felt for him. Like when he, when he is no longer a man, there's a, it's a scene in the third movie where he gets transformed back into a man. And there's that moment of tenderness between him and, uh, what's her name? Tiadama. Tiadama, who's actually the goddess. Calypso. 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 Thank you. Calypso. Um, and that moment is cool. And then when she gets big, like all of it falls apart. I'm just like, what? <laughs> I do. So I love it. I love the notion because the age of sail was really short, right? It's been hyper romanticized and, and explored and it lasted like what? 37 years. Yeah. It's really short. Like actually, It's like 17, and, like 15 to 1730 something. I, I, I love so much the idea of, of living outside the boundaries of what everyone else says you have to. I love it. My dad to this day, when my dad and I are saying goodbye on a phone call, one of us says, take what you can. And the other says, give nothing back. Because like the notion of, of just living your best life and and damn damn them all is like so valuable to me. And the awareness that like they had to fight for that way of life and, and understanding that a way of life and the freedom that came with that and all the dangers they faced, like they, they tried to band together and fight it and just couldn't. And I love like that last scene where Kira Knightley delivers the mo- the monologue where what should we die for? Like that's awesome. Like we're going down, like we're going down with the ship and we choose to be here because we value this so much. And that was just like incredible for me. I loved, um, the third one. I loved one, two, and three. I loved them. Um, I had my problems with Calypso being big. I thought they could have executed it a number of different ways to make it bad. And the fact that she turned into crabs felt like a real subtle, like don't have sex before marriage kids kind of thing because of like STIs and whatnot. That was weird. Um, I was like, what are you trying to say with that? What's that about? The whole movie's um, just slut shaming you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I did like the, 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 the two side characters the entire time. What are those guys' names? Uh, Pinkle and Roselli. I love the Pinkle fact that Rizzelli. like, they're just this comedic relief through the entire yeah. movie, but they actually have so much importance through all of it. And like the very end, it's one of them that releases Calypso. Like they're the ones that like make it happen. Like this would not have happened without these two characters. And I think I always love it when they do that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Did you not, did you not like four and five very much? I like five, not four. Correct. And that's exactly what I was going to say. Four was nonsense. And four was a real big disappointment and they fell off hugely um, because they tried to recreate one, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. you can't recapture lightning in a bottle. Don't try. It's not going to work. Make something new. And that's what they did with five that I thought was incredible. And so I really thought they brought it back around and gave it its just ending at yeah. the end of five, where you find out that she's his daughter and it's all about fatherhood and legacy and passing it on. And yeah. like the the awareness that it's no longer this like big picture idea of like, a lifestyle, but it's much more small and much more intimate. It's like, how do you, how do you communicate what you care about to the people that you care about? Right. And, and I think that was really cool. And the scene, like talk about scenes that stick with me, Bill, uh, Jeffrey Rush riding that anchor through the swell 
at the end of the movie is like one of those images that will be in my head forever because it was so cool. I so yes. I liked it a lot, but it was it was uh, it was problematic for sure. I want to like uh, I feel the same way hearing you talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, like probably as you did about Mission Impossible. I was like, ah, maybe mm-hmm. I need to analyze. Maybe I need to go back and rewatch this. Um, but uh, I will. Maybe I'll do this like it's like a light drizzle on the parade um Mm. when we were talking about like just like churning out more of these movies to like Mm -hmm. feed the disney machine like those to me i was like do we really need so many of these like we're pushing half a dozen of these now um do we need this many pirates movies yeah and i i I get it because i think it was a lot of um it was a lot of attempts to recapture the magic right one was magical yeah and it was so good in so many ways. And they, they nailed it at every touch. Like even the scene at the end where Elizabeth's father is like fighting a little zombie hand, right? Like we've all got our own private battles that we wage behind closed doors sort of situation. And then he's trying to also tell her like, it's okay if you don't want to marry this guy because you don't love him. I understand. I want you to be happy. Like, it's so cute. It's so cute. I can't I, help it. I guess, does this fall, the Pirates, they fall into like, were they planning on doing a sequel? Because I think people don't. No. Yeah, I think that's a lot of the issue, too, is, is like, I think it would have been way more easier for me to accept one, two, three, four and five. If I knew from the beginning that we're getting three. Right. Yeah. Like if this is an overarching story, because one felt like such a complete story. Yeah. And, it, and yeah. like I liked the end of one of like Jack going off of like, where are you going? It's like, well, we'll see. And like imagine him just doing what he needs to do. But then you come back and like it all tries to wrap around all into this, the first one, and like continue that one same story. So I think if we would have gotten like, yep, we're doing a trilogy. We know this is going to be three. We have a whole story for all three of these. Like it just would have cohesively made us easier to accept the act like two and three. I like two and three a lot. And I think they fit really well within the whole trilogy, but like, I think it would have been easier for like maybe folks like drew to been like, yeah, let's I'm in, you know, if I knew this was going to be a whole thing the entire time. Um, something else I want to point out about the series that we haven't touched on yet is the music. Like, one, yes, Hans, oh, so good. Hans so Zimmer good. nailed it. And there's three themes in the original movie that just absolutely, crush it and there's the first one which is jack's theme which plays when he shows up in port riding the mast of a sinking boat the best intro of the character ever like come on it's up there it's it shows you who he is immediately like this is he's gonna get there but it's not gonna be how you think you know like it's so good and then Um, the theme where he and he and will are fighting in the um in the armory in the in the blacksmith shop right the um it's it's um Dun 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 right and and that's incredible and then you've got the theme of the dead pirates which is you know so creepy and ominous and like plays when they when he says boys take a walk at the end and you see that scene where the people walking underwater they cross under the boat and they're normal and then they come out again into the moonlight and they're skeletons again it's so good ah it's great it's and i don't so good i don't want to rain on anybody's hype parade right now but we got to get we are at time at this okay. point okay and okay. so okay. and then the last one we got to talk about we got gentlemen we have to talk about star wars please let's talk about star wars drew when do you have to leave you got about 
five minutes? Yeah, I got like eight, eight, nine minutes. We can get through. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's get through them. We'll be quick. And I'll keep my mouth shut because I just talked for a long time about a couple of series I like. Um, Star Wars is what you guys experienced with Lord of the Rings is what I experienced because Star Wars all came out in May. So my birthday is in May. So I always got to see Star Wars for my birthday mm-hmm. every single year until Disney decided to change that. I have a special least- thing with... Star Wars 2, actually, just since we're on this, like, yeah. uh, real quick. I actually, so my family was very poor growing up. We didn't have, like, a VHS or, like, anything like that. So the first time that I literally saw Star Wars was in 1997 for the 20-year re-release of the special editions in theaters. Uh, my dad, like, saved up to take uh, me and my brother. So that was the first time I ever saw Star Wars was on a big screen, and it literally changed my life. So... You That's can't magical. get any better than that. I mean, honestly, That's magical, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, man, I love Star Wars so much, and and I absolutely want to have both of you back on. I mean, Max has to be here, but I want to have True back on. Uh, I want to have you back on to talk Star Wars in more depth. So, yeah. so I think what I want to do now is is I don't want to touch Star Wars because we all love it so okay. much. And it means so much to the three of us that let's schedule a time that we can do just two hours on Star Wars. We'll like, cut out some time on a weekend and we'll get into all the discussions about how bad Rise of the Skywalker is. <laughs> no, um, we won't. And then, no, we won't. And then we'll get, and we'll be able to just do it. So I think we should probably say our goodbyes now. As sad as I don't want to leave everybody, I'm having a great time, but we we, we do need to let our audience sleep sometime too. No, um, but, it's infinite. Uh, <laughs> But so we will have Star Wars coming. We're going to have Mission Impossible coming. There's going to be lots of stuff coming for Infinite Pulp. It's not going to stop anytime soon. Keep on listening. Share it with your friends. Um, But before we end up leaving, um, Drew, is there any final words or at least tell us where we can find you if you want to have anybody find you on any social medias or if you don't have social medias, just say, I don't care. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm grateful to the two of you to, to have me on and let me rant about, you know, Ethan Hunt for an hour and a half. Um, I had a great time. Um, I'm also stoked that we won the game. Um, (laughs) That was pretty great. Um, I'm actually, I'm like the only person in the world that doesn't have an Instagram. Like me and my brother are still holding strong on that. Um, But uh, yeah, I don't have anything. I don't have anything to plug at this time, but maybe, maybe in the future. Yeah, we'll see. We're going to plug Drew and Aaron's Mission Impossible review. That's what we're plugging right now, because we're going to be doing that. And hopefully Max will come in and join us. Yeah, the uh, revisiting Max, for Max, actually. That'll be fun. Yeah, be. I'm really excited about all that. Um, so that's in the future. Max, where can everybody find you? I am Max Baron Reed at every platform you can find. So Reed at gmail.com, Reed on Facebook, Reed on YouTube, Reed on Twitter, and Reed on Instagram. It's all there. Go check it out. You got good stuff there. And then I am, if we want to get really technical about it, my Twitter is at Aaron underscore Robert. Um, but if you just look at Damped Mango, DMP3D Mango, um, I'm that's my what I use for everything. So if you want to hit me up on any sort of gaming, you can hit me up on Xbox, PS4. Uh, we can start gaming together. You can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, any place. And also email us at podcast at infinitepulp.com. And uh, we'll be back. We'll be doing this again. Um, I had so much fun. We're having Drew back on for sure. And uh, we'll see what we do next time. But 
until then, everybody have a wonderful rest of your night and um, evening, day, morning. And if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Say good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie.